This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer. Worldwide, I'm Libby Snymer. Most of us know the name Jane Jacobs as an advocate for Toronto neighborhoods, but she started her activism in New York. We'll speak to the director of a film focused on Jane's life and work before she came to Canada. And there's a lot of talk about Canadian values these days. Our Governor-General, David Johnston, has his own ideas about what that means. His Excellency joins me in studio in just a few moments. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. In the midst of film festival season, here's a depressing fact that has just been quantified. Zoomers are practically invisible in mainstream movies. A new study from the Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism at the University of Southern California confirms that out of more than 4,000 speaking roles in the top Hollywood films last year, Only 11% involved characters 60 years old or older. Just 10 of those roles were considered to be leads. Actor Gordon Pinsent is being honored with this year's Legacy Award by the Stratford Festival, where he performed early in his stage career. Pinsent joined the company in 1962 and went back to Stratford in the mid-70s as a leading player. The Canadian star has almost 150 film and TV credits and won the Best Actor Genie and Actor Awards for his work in Sarah Pauly's Away From Her, as well as a Genie for Best Actor in The Shipping News. He's also the subject of a new documentary by filmmaker Bridget Berman. The Legacy Award will be handed out on September 26th in Toronto by Christopher Plummer, who received the festival's inaugural Legacy Award. One of the world's most respected figure skating coaches and choreographers, Ellen Burka, has died at the age of 95. A skating champ in the Netherlands, Burka immigrated to Canada in 1950 after surviving the Holocaust. She went on to join the Toronto Cricket Skating and Curling Club, beginning her successful career. An Olympic and world coach, Burka taught many accomplished skaters, including Toller Cranston, six-time Canadian champ, and 1976 Olympic bronze medalist. Burka was appointed to the Order of Canada in 1978, became a member of Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 1996, and then in 2013 was inducted into the International Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world.
We celebrate her life every year doing Jane's Walk, a free citizen-led walking tour across the city, learning more about Toronto's nooks and crannies. Jane Jacobs was all about preserving neighborhoods and stopping urban sprawl. Zoomers will remember her key role in stopping the Spadina Expressway. But it wasn't just Toronto she touched. She started out her crusade against development in New York City. It's the topic of a new film featuring Oscar-winning actress Marissa Tomei as the voice of Jane Jacobs. Look what we have built. Low-income projects that become worse centers of delinquency, vandalism, and general social hopelessness than the slums they were supposed to replace. Middle-income housing projects which are truly marvels of dullness and regimentation sealed against any buoyancy or vitality of city life. Expressways that eviscerate great cities. This is not the rebuilding of cities. This is the sacking of cities. Matt Tiernauer, the director of the film, joins me now. So, first of all, what made you pick this subject, Jane Jacobs? Jane Jacobs herself, I read her book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities, uh, about 10 years ago. I found it on a table at a bookstore a few blocks from the house she lived in in New York City on Hudson Street. It was one of those books I'd always heard of but meant to read. I bought it, read it, and I was just blown away by the authorial voice. And she makes you see the city in an entirely different way and makes you recognize what a city is in ways you might never have contemplated before. So I was looking for another uh, subject for a film, and uh, there'd never really been a Jane Jacobs movie of the, the first order made, so I thought this would be a great topic. In New York City, before this film, was she more or less becoming forgotten? Because she's still a huge icon here in Toronto. Her reputation in the United States is enormous among people who are familiar with the field. I don't think that she's a household name in the way she is in Canada. Of course, she spent 40 years of her life here and had a huge impact on Canadian cities and Toronto in particular. Okay, let's start with what was going on in her neighborhood. She had settled in the West Village of Manhattan in the 50s. And at that time, you know, Greenwich Village is seen as this wonderful, idealized, and perhaps at this point, over-gentrified place. At the time, The village, especially the part she lived in, was thought to be a slum because the urban planners personified in the film and and in her book to a large part by Robert Moses, called the power broker, the greatest unelected official in probably the history of the United States, most powerful. He had designated the West Village a slum and uh, they were going to demolish the urban fabric there and rebuild housing projects. And she galvanized her neighborhood. Yes. So uh, Jacobs, even before she'd written Death and Life, uh, when Washington Square Park was in danger, uh, being bisected by a highway, this was the plan that Robert Moses had put forth. Jacobs was a key activist in uh, the plan to rescue Washington Square Park and was successful. And this was one of the great losses for Moses in his uh, quest to remake the city. Jacobs, uh, then after the book's written, saves another part of the village, her own part, the West Village. And then she saves another part, which is uh, Soho, uh, the area south of there, which was designated to be uh, torn apart by a highway. So these are a series of battles for the city 
that take place over approximately 15, 20-year period in mid-century. And, and of course, those areas are all the hottest, trendiest, and, and very expensive areas right now. Yeah, well, I think the story continued in Toronto when she moved here in 68. Uh, the Spadina Expressway was uh, planned to uh, actually uh, run right through the first house that she settled in here, which I think was on Spadina. Then she moved into the annex on Albany Street, and that whole area, she was instrumental. Again, I think the mayors at the time, Mayor Crombie and Mayor John Sewell, uh, I think consulted her, and she was certainly helped to galvanize the Stop Spadina movement. One of the things that comes out in the film is that when she took up her activism, she was often denigrated as just a housewife. And you also uh, make a parallel between her coming out with her book, and at the same time, Betty Friedan, The Feminine Mystique, and Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. There were three women who wrote books in the first three years of the 60s. You've just mentioned them. Jacobs with her book, Betty Friedan with Feminine Mystique, and Rachel Carson with Silent Spring. And how ahead of their time they were, they really wrote the uh, the treatises that led to the movements of the mid-60s and late 60s. So that's remarkable in its own right. Jacobs is a woman who is a specialist in fields that had hardly any women who were present uh, or visible. Urban planning, architecture, and design, these are still areas where women are underrepresented, and shocking, shockingly so, I might say. The opposition that she went up against by not only making her voice heard, but in a very forceful way, and actually having an effect with a, a book that has, is now seen as a classic, Death and Life, was really hard to take for what I call the white men who know best, the white men in charge culture, which is personified by Robert Moses. But still, that establishment exists to this day. Some of them whom we spoke to for the movie are still resentful of Jane Jacobs. It's a very much a male-dominated culture. What do you want us to take away here in Toronto from this film? She makes you see the city in a different way. She makes you see the glory of the city from the bottom up. When that door is unlocked for you and you see what a city is through her eyes, which is a network of individuals acting coincidentally to form the city, if you understand that, I think it makes the city more accessible. And if you see things that are happening to your city that you want to change, it might seem monolithic and unchangeable to you. But if you understand the Jacobs story in her point of view, the city, it becomes much easier to get a toehold and then a foothold in as an activist. Okay, Matt Turnauer, thanks so much. Thank you. That's filmmaker Matt Tiernauer. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, His Excellency, the Governor General of Canada, David Johnston, joins us in studio. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. What are core Canadian values and how do we foster and preserve them? Those questions are now at the heart of the national debate. We're going to look at some ideas from an unlikely source, a governor general still serving in office, an office where avoiding political controversy is a must. His Excellency David Johnston, Canada's 28th governor general since Confederation, joins me to talk about his book, The Idea of Canada, Letters to a Nation. 
I think that to start off with, people would be very surprised that you come from a fairly modest background. You grew up in the Sioux. Your father uh, had a hardware store. Very modest background, but but it's a Canadian story. Out of the opportunity that we have in Canada, we have been able to develop our talents, and that, for me, is the great promise of Canada. It's a country that's worked harder at equality of opportunity than any other nation, and our challenge is to have equality of opportunity and excellence, too, to have both of those objectives or values is mutually reinforcing. Now, you are also a star athlete. You talk about being recruited to go to Harvard, And you also talk incredibly about your principal refusing to give you a letter of reference because he thought talented people should stay in the suit. When I asked him to do the letter of reference, he said, I don't want you going to a third-rate American university. I said, well, (laughs) sir, they're third-rate and second-rate and first-rate. This one is first-rate. He says, well, I'm worried that you'll leave the country and won't come back. I said, well, I don't think that's right. I think I will. But surely, sir, you know, that's a choice for me. And he says, well, I I have a different view of that. So I went to the football coach, who was also the history teacher. He says, I'll write the wretched letter for you. He said, you've been a big frog at a very small pond. You've got to get your head knocked off by people that are faster and tougher than you in the football field and, and so on. And, and I went... And I was four years in the United States, then I did two years of law in England, uh, which again took me away from my country, and then came back and ended up in higher education. And uh, I think those experiences abroad have been wonderfully important to me in broadening the mind, and so I encourage young Canadians to be abroad when they can. Some of your letters show you discovering other parts of life, too, that kind of stuck out for me is one from Montreal, where you say that you weren't aware of the poverty around you right. when you were at McGill, and one to Clara Hughes, yeah. a great athlete who has been very open about her mental illness and, and encouraging people to talk about mental illness. I had lived in Montreal for about 10 or 12 years at this point and thought I knew my city well, but I became co-chair of Centre United Way, English and French colleagues working together. And I discovered parts of my city that I never expected to exist. For example, one of the four little boys in East End Montreal appeared for school at age six, unable to learn. The notion of an alphabet was a foreign thing to them. And I thought, my, oh my, I'm the president of an important university in Montreal that's supposed to know our community. I didn't understand that. There was something lacking in in my antenna. So that was a wake-up call for me. And again, was Clara a wake-up call for you? Yes. I think I came to see the power of people like Clara, whom we know as a hero in our eyes in one area, on the other hand, suffering from this terrible, terrible, challenging illness, and then saying, we have to talk about it because lots of people suffer from that. One of five of us will have clinical depression at some time in our lifetime. Let's understand that. And once we understand it, it's it's a challenge for all of us. Then we help our colleagues who are suffering, and we ensure that professional help is available and we overcome. You also wrote a letter to John Helliwell, who is uh, the happiness scientist. John is a very special man. John's an economist, one of the truly distinguished economists in the world today. And uh, John's expertise is on measuring happiness. And we have not been very good at measuring how people are satisfied or content or feel that their community is healthy. And it's very interesting to apply those measures to particular communities, to particular neighborhoods, to particular societies and say, where do you stand on the 
happiness or satisfaction scale? And in what directions are you going on one or two different trajectories? And what can you do about that to get yourself on the right trajectory? One of the things that he found is that really, once you hit your 60s, people in that age bracket are the happiest. And especially if they have a partner and if they have a faith. Those are very profound, actually. I, I think we tend to develop a serenity, perhaps. And we, I think, perhaps have come to understand who we are and worry a little bit less about who we are. Faith, for me, is a very important bedrock one of the things that caught my eye was you talked about meeting Chancellor Angela Merkel, and this is before she uh, had the migrant crisis on her hands. And she asked you, how do you make this crazy quilt of diversity work in Canada? Those societies, communities, nations that are inclusive in their politics and their economics are in a virtual upward cycle. Those that are extractive in their economics and politics are in a virtual destructive cycle. Because we've been an inclusive country built on a bargain with our original First Nations people, built on a bargain between French and English in 1763, built on bargains where we avoid extremes in our behavior with one another. We look for the common ground. We try to find uh, paths forward rather than areas of division. And our immigrants have contributed so much as a consequence. It Wave upon wave of immigrants have come to this country and made it better. The children of immigrant exceed substantially the children of those of us who have been here for generations in terms of their educational attainment. So you see this over and over again, and that's been a great Canadian triumph. There's a big discussion about Canadian values in the political arena and this business about testing for Canadian values. But are Canadians wrong to be concerned that people come here with tolerance for other religions when they come from places where people of different religions basically kill each other? No respect for women. We've seen instances of so-called honor killing. Are Canadians wrong to worry about this? Our tolerance for difference ends when someone is breaching the law of the land. And from time to time, those laws will change somewhat. Uh, When we think of terrorism, we've had to make adjustments in our freedom of expression or freedom of association. But those are adjustments that are made against our constitution, our charter of rights, and uh, our parliaments, and, and a very open and critical press. By and large, what Canadians have said is, come to Canada and bring your culture. We welcome your diversity. That said, uh, understand that we have laws that prohibit certain kind of activities for good reason and be sure that you conduct yourself so you don't cross that line. Okay. Governor General David Johnston, thanks so much. A delight to be with you. I'm Libby Snymer and you're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, a famous Canadian musician turned 75 this week. The story of David Clayton Thomas when the Zoomer Weekend Review returns. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Enjoy Global Grooves by award-winning artists from around the world at the free citywide multi-venue World Music Festival in Chicago. 
This year's festival features over 60 artists from 25 countries, including Canada. It runs through September 25th. In New York, the Morgan Library and Museum presents the exhibit Charlotte Bronte, which traces the author's life from imaginative teenager to masterful published poet and novelist. This year marks the 200th anniversary of her birth. In Los Angeles, the United Talent Agency has opened its first fine art division with a 4,400-square-foot gallery that it's using to promote its clients, which include dissident Chinese artists. Artist Ai Weiwei. And in India, the country's first and oldest professional symphony orchestra is celebrating its 10th anniversary at the National Center for the Performing Arts in Mumbai. Performances run through September 30th. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, one of Canada's most celebrated musicians, David Clayton Thomas, celebrated his 75th birthday. Like so many Toronto-based musicians from the Zoomer generation, he began his career gigging in Yorkville clubs and on the Young Street Strip. His talent was noticed by another local musician, Ronnie Hawkins, who took Clayton Thomas under his wing. He introduced him to the right people, and it wasn't long before David was fronting his own bands and performing alongside people like John Lee Hooker. It was Hooker who took him to New York City, where he performed in front of Judy Collins. She was so impressed by his sound that she called her friend, drummer Bobby Colombi. His band, Blood, Sweat and Tears, had just broken up shortly after releasing their debut album. Colombi was taken by David Clayton Thomas's voice. He got his band back together, and the rest, as they say, is history. Blood, Sweat and Tears went on to record a number of hit singles and studio albums. And since then, David Clayton Thomas has had a very successful career as a solo blues and jazz singer. Right now, we'll hear the iconic song from Blood, Sweat, and Tears' eponymous debut with David Clayton Thomas. Here is Spin and Wheel. That was Blood, Sweat, and Tears with Spin and Wheel. David Clayton Thomas celebrated his 75th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.